Explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine Matthew Medney, as they bring scientists, engineers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is Putting the Science in Science Fiction, where fiction and science collide. That is 100%. Patrick, if you are listening, needs to be a scene in like a Futurama show <laughs> or, or Rick and Morty <laughs> where, where Morty is just telling some baby to pour him drinks as no, science. You know what? I was, I was just watching. It would be Archer. It would be Mallory oh, Archer yeah. babysitting Absolutely. someone else's child Absolutely. for 10 minutes and she's having the five-year-old make her cocktails. <laughs> Actually, I think that was an episode of Archer. Probably was. Oh, no way. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I remember seeing that. Uh, I think uh, I might be, this might be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was season three when uh, when she was like, wasn't she like the queen of something for a season, John? Or like like, like, the, like the, the heir to some fortune where she was like um, the center of attention. Cheryl was. Yeah, she's like the heir to the billionaire force. Right, yes, right, yes, right, yes. right. Yeah. The That's ton season. railroad empire. Yes. 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 <laughs> oh, by the way, amazing. by the way, I have not watched any of the latest season where they kind of went back to the normal the normal timeline. Um is I haven't it, how yet is either. It? I, oh, okay. So I haven't watched I, it yet. Um I don't know what season that is. I had stopped watching it for a couple of seasons. So right now, literally within the past week, we've started watching the season where it's there. It's those characters again for the original ones, but they're in space. Oh yeah. That's the, so that's the penultimate. So there's, um, so I don't know about three or four seasons ago. So Archer gets shot. Right. And yeah, all of a sudden, after, so after the, after the um, private eye season, Right. Well, so yeah. Private Eye season started this sort of alternate timeline thing where it was Private Eye one season, then it was like oh, when he was Indiana in Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones in the jungle kind of thing, and then the space one. And now the new one is he's back to being like in our normal time or our, his. I think that's probably out of the, the coma. Oh. I don't know. I, I haven't. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, the space one though, where they're at least their own characters. Yeah, they're having all of their original interactions, which I thought was fantastic. Like the one with the self, the, the robot who wants to just be the self-detonating thing. And it's literally like, all you have to do is sex mode. And they just tackle Cheryl. Like they don't exactly. even give her a second to breathe. And I laughed so hard just because like, you know by now just how all these, they all of them just know how each other act. And I feel like yep. that's just honestly the natural response of what they would do in that. And it yep. was all the funnier for it. Yep. Yeah, so That's I'm glad it, it's circling back. Mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. I think it's funnier now than it was in between in the middle. So, jumping off of Archer for mm, our okay. listeners today, we are talking about faster than light technology versus warp speed and how they are used in various uh, mm. franchises. And everyone listening instantly will go to Star Trek and Star Wars, but there's there is others. But I want mm -hmm. to start this episode off with something Star Trek related that is similar to our first episode where we uh, learned that tachyons were real life theoretical and not just hoopla made for Star Trek. Dilithium is real, which I didn't know. Dilithium crystals are fake, right? But dilithium is a, a real element or a thing 
And I, I, I was Googling it because I was curious about it for this episode. And what I found so far is dilithium does in fact exist. It's a molecule, it's a molecule made from two lithium atoms bonded together. However, dilithium crystals are total science hoopla. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but the fact that dilithium even exists is crazy. I didn't even realize that. But to dive in, what do you guys think about FTL traveling faster than light, warping speed? You know, this th there's a ton of things I want to talk about, but you know, off the bat, Ben, what what are your initial thoughts on on this as like a category? I think it's a great conversation. Um, I you know of I don't know. The question is, which one do I pick, or which one do I think is more plausible? Um, we'll get there. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So so yeah, I mean you know. I think even though it seems the more theoretical and preposterous, I feel like the warping travel, warp drive travel might be more, uh, we might be able to do that more than faster than light, just because, just because of Einstein, honestly, because it seems like Einstein's pretty much right on everything. So the idea of being able to, to travel faster than light or, you know, accelerate yourself, they have enough energy to accelerate yourself that fast with, you know, a, a reasonable means seems kind of crazy. But being able to to warp time and space to be able to jump to places and stuff like that, that that might be might be possible. It seems like the mathematics works out. And, and we're seeing every day that there's that space time kind of works the way works that way. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I come down to on it. Um, and also, though, it also begs the question of like, it depends on, you know, again, how you're categorizing these things and what the what the terminology is. So if you say faster than light travel, you could say that warp travel is that because you're traveling, you're traveling far distances in a short amount of time, maybe, maybe you're going faster than light in the sense that you're traversing this distance quicker than light would. Light can Right, but you're but you're not actually. But when I talk, when I'm saying faster than light travel, I mean like you strap a super big engine to the back of you and you accelerate past the speed of light, as opposed to kind of faking it by jumping around in space time. Totally, John. What do you think? I mean, as a topic, I think it's one of the ultimate questions. You know, it, it kind of dictates at least for now, our scope of the universe and the, what we can conceivably mm. see and explore and what's accessible to us and mm -hmm. the, the math and reality of the possibility of alien cultures actually interacting with each other, given mm. the enormity of space and time. Um, if it doesn't exist, then it's tough. It's kind of, I think, I think it's going to, I think it's, I don't want to say a carrot on a stick. It's like a Promethean flame that somebody else is holding that they're not mm. going to hand to us, but it, it, it keeps driving us and the, and the hope. Um, I do think that the laws of physics as we understand them and going and accelerating through faster the speed of light in conventional ways is not going to be done. And it's not going to be done by conventional ways. I think we've come up with warp and other wormholes because those right. are the allowances around the speed of light. And it's, right. it's, 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 it, be, it plays to our creative side of being like, okay, this is a, this is a rule you can't break now figure mm -hmm. out how to get around it. <laughs> and John, just for our listeners and Ben explain, you know, 
faster than light is strapping a massive engine rocket onto the back of something and propelling it through faster than the light barrier. But warp speed for everyone listening is, you know, effectively taking a piece of paper, folding it, punching a hole through it and getting from A to C without having to mm -hmm. touch B, mm -hmm. right? That That is effectively mm -hmm. what warp speed is. Yes, well, John, don't. Sorry. That's that's more of a wormhole. A better analogy would be if you took a piece of paper, you creased it, and then you crossed the crease and uncreased it. It's you're compressing the space time in front right. of you. You're not you're not tunneling through it or around it. You're compressing it in front of you and stretching it out behind you mm -hmm. in a continuous interesting bubble. And in 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 Star Trek, they have it as a literal bubble. Right. of space time right. that's compressing and striking behind it. And then, so yeah, you're, you're just, I can't describe it. Incrementally, you're not really moving, but you're actually, mm -hmm. you know, pulling all this space. But, but that's kind of the thing with warp is like, you'd hit something. Like if something was directly in your warp path, you would hit it. You're still existing inside of the universe. If you did the wormhole one, obviously that's just linking two points and nothing in between matters. Right. And wormhole for, for our listeners is, is similar to how Guardians of the Galaxy does time travel, uh, does, uh, does traveling through space because mm -hmm. they literally go through what look like wormholes, right? Those hexagon things, yeah. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then Star Trek is the, the different magnitudes of warp, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. what, what, Ben, what were you going to say? I was going to, so two, two things were one, the, the idea of an object and warp makes me think of the first Star Trek, Star Trek, the motion picture, when they test out the, um, the warp drive on the newly re refitted enterprise. And then there's that asteroid in it and they have to check off after has to blast it away. Anyway. Uh, the other thing was, um, Hyper, when you're talking about Star Wars, so hyperspace, Star Wars, you know, I don't want to get too technical and scientific about Star Wars because yeah. honestly, it doesn't matter. It's a great thing and we should just succumb to it. But the idea that the hyperspace is supposed to be this kind of, I think it's supposed to be this sort of tunneling kind of thing because um, there's these hyperspace channels or something like that in the Star Wars universe. And, and you know, Han Solo says, you know, you come out of hyperspace too close to a star bounce too close to a supernova and you, whatever. So it, it seems to me like there are no objects in hyperspace, but you can come out in an object. Um, so uh, this is free association from my, from geekdom, from the things you were talking about. Do, do you, and this is for either of you guys, do you think that, you know, with warp speed, it, it obviously feels like gravity would play a big role in that just with gravitational fields being able to push space around right or how do you think it would actually work in reality i do think that i mean that that's been a pretty as i say that's not a rare theme in science fiction of having uh difficulty like in halo for example their ships uh have hyperdrives and access a form of hyperspace but yeah they were like you couldn't use it off of the surface of an earth, like the calculations have having to deal with being close to a gravity well would mess everything up. Everyone died. Um, I think that, yeah, if you were near any kind of intense gravity field, that would be miss messing with the advanced technology required to mm. warp space time around you. This is, this is, you know, kind of conjecture. Also, I mean, this, yeah. <laughs> one of the, one of my personal fears of warp drive is that as if let's, let's live in a fantasy for a second and say that it's 
it, it's, it's not just plausible, it's possible. And we've understood the math and we understood the energy and we're starting to test it. Mm -hmm. Is this next statement theoretically possible or is this just a science fiction writer going off the wall? Is could we theoretically push Earth off of its axes by engaging in something like a warp drive in a spaceship too close to Earth? Like, could we destroy Earth by engaging it too close to the planet just by mistake? Or if we had that sort of technology, that wouldn't necessarily be something possible. Interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say because, I, I mean, what are you suggesting? Like, if, okay, so you're a ship near Earth, you fire, are you like, are you, like, are you warping, you're worried about like the ship warping the space around it and affecting Earth? Yeah, I mean, that's... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so basically my my brain went, John, we we figured out how to create a nuke. And then within 50 years of creating it, made three places on this planet unlivable due to the radiation. So mm -hmm. instantly my monkey ape brain started thinking, well, if we have to engage a warp drive and we're in the testing and we're in the infancy of it, what if somebody pressed go just a little too close to the planet and like the exhaust of the warp <laughs> engine, like screwed with our gravity field or screwed with our magnetosphere. Is that even possible? Or am I just, you know, like, I'm curious, like what could be the, the, the ramifications of, of something like that? And would that mean that like, you know, could, could it even be that it doesn't screw with earth, but like it pushes the moon just enough that it leaves earth's gravity. Like are any, like are things like that possible? Well, my biggest thing thing would be if you're not having any exchange of mass, you know, no, then I don't really, and as well as like, you know, is the size, what size of the spaceship is compared to Earth? Let's say it's the USS Enterprise, just for scale. I mean, negligible. I mean, also just like, once again, like as, as, as the ship activates its warp drive, like what's happening? Because I mean, if this warp drive is on Earth, like it's not, you know, energy is being changed in forms, but it's, you know, I just don't see how it's going to move the planet. Like it's just, mm -hmm. you know, you're not, the, you move the planet by having a mass, by either like changing its mass, changing the masses of objects around it. Um, or I mean, yes, I guess if you had, if you like uh, detonated enough, no, because even if you detonated a stack of nuclear bombs on a continent on one side, I mean, that's not going to push. It's, it's not going to push the planet against nothing. But, or no, well, I guess that's rough. But that's on the planet, John, inside the atmosphere. You know, I'm saying if you ignited a drive capable of pushing space time, you know, in, in and of itself effectively to move to the other side, you know, if, if Earth was pushed even, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I've always wondered that. I always wondered like what, what, what would be the real gravitational consequences of an actual, you know, warp engine that is, you know, as you said, you know, creasing a piece of paper and bending space around it. You know, if you bent space too close to a celestial body, what would that do to it? I think it'd be a matter of scale, truthfully. I think it would, I think that something tiny would have 
negligible effect on the planet or, or so negligible that it wouldn't really affect us in terms of like how much it would have affected Earth's orbit around the sun or its rotation. I'm with you on that. It, it, it's funny. Never thought of that, but that's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about as a consequence of this. But going back to Star Wars uh, makes me think of, uh, you know, the Death Star is pretty freaking massive and it bends space all the time to get around because it's got hyperdrive. Um, I you wonder, never see it go into hyperspace. No, ever. but they tell they tell you uh, that's that's the whole that's the way that it gets to the fourth moon of Yavin in the first. In, in I the know, world. I know, um, but it just, it, it's maddening to me. I'm like, you'll never show it. I know, I know. But anyway, that's uh, you know, who knows if it knocks knocks some of those planets out of out of alignment. I don't know. That's interesting. That's interesting funny. idea to oh, think that for be, for being there, yeah, that could because that, that yeah, matter. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, you know, it's a moon, right? Um, yeah, changes the tide. I mean, that would have been cool in uh, Rogue One if you would have seen a change of the tides because the the um, the Death Star oh. all of a sudden ends up in orbit. It's the interstellar way of that, but it's just like preceding the Death yeah, Star yeah, yeah, passing yeah, yeah, over yeah. a planet. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. That's a cool idea. That's that's an oh, image. Also, also, you just then without even meaning to, you just totally destroyed the need of the death ray, right? You could literally yeah, just yeah, right. move. That's you right. could just move the Death Star into a solar system and destroy the planet. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I also want to go on the record and say both of your points of view on warp drive is how we're going to destroy Earth. Just, just, just for just, just so that I said it first. When we push Earth off its axis because of the negligible impacts of warp drive, it's because the scientists like you I think yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. I I do sincerely hope though that any sort of testing we would do for something like that would be in deep space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. Deep. Right. Deep yeah. space yeah. out of out of orbits. Um, yeah. But although, isn't that isn't that some of the um, you know? There's always. It seems like every few years, every or something like that somebody's talking about like cern's gonna run this experiment and it's gonna like the the, the universe as we know it is gonna get swallowed into switzerland or something like that like um there is constantly constantly talk about whatever's going on at cern is going to create some sort of like mini black hole that we're all going to fall into um i well, I, I, I my my thought and, and maybe this is just because i don't know better is that i feel like the the consequences in space are more fragile than the consequences on earth. Mm. I feel like we're insulated so much with our different levels of atmosphere and ionosphere and all the things that keep us alive here mm -hmm. helps to kind of make things like a nuclear bomb on earth, not affect the things out there, right? Because there's so much to contain it here. It destroys parts of the planet, but it doesn't necessarily destroy the planet. I, yeah. I have more reservations of things like that not have consequences out there. Ah, uh, I mean, but, yeah, but, the, but the vacuum of space. Explain. Well, okay, so, all right, so I mean, if you, we'll use that example. If you detonate a nuclear bomb on Earth in the atmosphere, there's a tremendous amount of heat and energy that is all of a sudden being absorbed by the air and the medium around the rock and all that is passing through it, creating a giant pressure wave and shock wave that will emanate out and destroy everything. 
if you detonate a nuclear bomb in the depths of space, all you're going to get is a ton of really high intense radiation and a lot of pretty lights and the matter that comprise, to comprise the bomb or anything in its immediate vicinity, but it's not, there's no medium for that to dissipate through. Mm -hmm. But you don't think that could affect magnetic fields or gravitational uh, anomalies or um, orbits? Like, it, it isn't our whole point of reference with uh, our planetary defense theories for an asteroid to just push the asteroid by detonating a nuke to the left or right of it to push it off of its trajectory to miss Earth? You would never, you would never detonate a asteroid because the hellfire that would come down would be way worse. But right. the idea is you'd push it by using explosions on either side to move it off of its trajectory by, you know, one degree or half a degree so that then you're it talking, misses you're the about earth. light pressure. Yes. I yes. mean, light pressure is, is real. Um, but you're, you're talking about something that sounds similar to Project Orion, which was the giant, it, you know, huge antenna disc shaped object that we were going to detonate uh, nukes inside of its foci and we were going to ride the wave mm -hmm. um okay but that's 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 trying to move an asteroid would be more effective would be to take a tiny satellite or something and have it fly and slowly pull the asteroid and redirect it that way but if that nuke wasn't around something else that's my point if it was just out in space by itself it's not but but my point is about a a, a warp engine or ftl engine being activated which is in theory that too close to celestial objects and would that have an effect on it i mean again i think the i think a warp engine has more likelihood than a ftl engine in the way that i conceive the two of them um, of doing something just because you are screwing around with with space time in a you know local vicinity um but i do think that it's I think you'd have to have an object almost as large as the object you're trying to move around to, to be able to do that. Right. Um, so I don't think we'd ever like make anything. Star. Yeah. Like a death star. Exactly. Right. So a death star would, would have enough of its own gravity. Maybe. Yeah. That, yeah. that it could push something off. But to your yeah. point, a, a, um, in a USS enterprise, which I saw a scale the other day, which fascinated me. It's like the size of Lower Manhattan to like 34th Street. It is wow. like, it's massive. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize the scale no. at which it was. It's funny. That's funny because I'm fascinated by those scale things that people put out there of what the spaceships look like. And oh, I've seen, I love those. Yeah, it's the best. But I've seen the Enterprise look like some people have said, oh, it's as big as an aircraft carrier, which to me is not impressive at all. I'm like, what the heck is that? That sucks. Um, but for you saying, it's the lower Manhattan that that's great. Um, like, yeah, the superstar destroyer, like the Romulan warbird was up to 70th street. Nice. 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 <laughs> I love that. Massive. That's cool. Um, but yeah. All right, so, so getting back to the drives. Oh, wait, I do want to add one more thing. Sorry. One more science sci-fi geek thing is the idea of, of nuclear detonations, moving things. Um, space 1999 that's the whole premise of that show is that the moon is our nuclear waste dumping ground and it explodes one day and it shoots the moon off of its orbit into space 
and the moon becomes this and the moon colony that's on it becomes this like spaceship in and of itself going through the galaxy so maybe it's possible because it was in a sci-fi show from the 70s i love that but i i hope uh um uh what what, what was what was it a a, a... 65 Cadillac that George Jetson drives around in space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, talk to me about how you would see it powered. Like, as I said at the beginning of the show, dilithium crystals are not actually real, but that is like the, the opus of how the the warp engine works on a starship in star star trek and you know star trek obviously as as we alluded to is a little bit more science heavy than star wars with hyperspace so let, let's focus on on star trek how how would you see a warp engine and, and as we had talked about last episode with the periodic table what combination of elements would need to exist that we might not know how to uh, uh, stabilize right now, but would need to happen theoretically to make a warp engine even a possibility. Mm. John, do you have any ideas there? Ben, do you have any ideas? Well, what I would state, honestly, for a, a warp engine, I remember reading a couple of different articles over the past couple of years, and one thing that they stated was that it would actually need a road or a framework in which to like warp all the space from one point to another simultaneously um as, as in terms of power i mean the most powerful thing that i can think of drawing from known science is ant is antimatter which is the star trek fuel right exactly and yeah, dilithium crystals only stabilize the reaction. They don't, they're not actually oh, the fuel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Cause I feel like it's less, I mean, I don't know, but I feel like it's almost less a question of fuel. Like you're not burning anything necessarily. It's more of a, you're creating these conditions for this physics to happen. Right. Um, then maybe it's, uh, but I guess, you know, in that sense, like, I keep bringing up CERN, but you know, CERN expends a certain amount of energy to make these particles accelerate as fast as they do. And it creates this condition where these subatomic things happen. Um, so maybe that it, maybe it's more like that. So I don't know, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, if we, you know, so like a, a mini fusion... hydron collider inside the starship going up, yeah, up maybe. incredibly fast helps to start that reaction. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Or, um, yeah, or I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is, yeah, maybe it's, it's a proton or a antimatter matter reaction that creates enough energy to, to create this, you know, this field that happens. What were you going to say? I, no, I think I know where you're going, or I think the, the point you're trying to make then, Matt, it's, it's that like at that point, it's not really about what the energy source is. Mm -hmm. It's really like whatever, it's more of, you have some insane technology that is able to right. bend, cheat the laws of physics that we know it. And I guess now it's a question of just like, how much power does it need? And I guess that's right. us all of assuming that, it, you know, requires jewels and, yeah. you know, how much, 
Is it a lot? Is it a little? I don't know. It's kind of hard. To, so it's, it's really hard to it's speculate. Less at that point. about the fuel in right. So, so somebody listening to this that that thinks of like a car, right? It's less about the gas that you're putting in it, and more mm-hmm. about you know how much energy you need to provide for this reaction to happen. And honestly, the structure. Push. Right. But it's, but it's not even a push, right? If, if it's, if it's warp drive, it's not, it, it's less of a physical kind of push, but it's creating this condition where you enter this space or this, this not space we've been using space to, but this, this, yeah, you invent, enter this environment that you're moving in a different place. You're folding space time or something like that. Um, uh, and so it's, yeah, it's less about what the gas is, but it's more about the the car. Like, what's the technology in the car, and what's the structure of it? How can it be controlled? That's the one thing is that we could create the condition. You know, could it might not be as much energy as we think to create the condition for creating a a wormhole, but then we have to be able to control ourselves through it, and you know, guide ourselves through it, and do all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I think yeah, it's I don't I don't think there is an element out there that's going to create this sort of warp thing. I think there's going to be something out there that just creates the energy needed to actually make the warp thing happen. Um, right. Because in theory, warp engine, right. Cause there's a few scientists that have theorized the, you know, way in which you could do it. But in our current understanding of science, and I, I don't want to misquote it, but I believe is Michio Kakaku said that there is a theoretical way that you could do a warp engine right now but it would take all of the energy of the sun ever created to hmm. power it yeah so it's yeah, it, i've it's, heard it's, that too so it's mathematically feasible but we just have no idea how to create the energy needed to just do one trip let alone a litany of trips sure right exactly fascinating um so another thing that I, I, I'm curious of your guys' take on in, in the science or fiction of it is in a few of the different iterations of Star Trek Voyager and um, and Enterprise and the Next Generation for sure did it. Um, I think the original one did it as well, but the idea that the warp engine now functions and you move to a point in space and time so far from your original mm. place that unless if that same issue happened again, it even at those speeds would be impossible to get back. I mean, that is the premise of Voyager. Right, right. And, and, and that happened in Next Generation when they went into that, the deepest part of space where uh, ideas and thought uh, meshed with reality, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that idea of, of, a, of a ship malfunctioning and overshooting it, it, it I want both of your guys' thoughts on the reality of that being, you know, would that even be theoretically possible or is that just great storytelling? I mean, I think the idea of overshooting your target isn't necessarily really an, even an FTL question. I mean, it could, it could happen because you just didn't have enough fuel to hit a, a window and you ended up flying off into space or crashing, or it was like Pandorum where, you accidentally stayed asleep for a thousand years longer than you were supposed to, and you overshot a target or you missed or, um, yeah, I mean, I guess if it's, if it would depend on the, the, the conditions, I think of the, of the nature of the FTL, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess if you were, if it's an FTL where you could go two times the speed of light and you're going in a straight line and you, 
had a malfunction that suddenly made you go a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, I, I don't know that one, I guess seems a little bit more predictive versus like if you had a malfunction, say that was a jump drive and it just like spat you out somewhere in the universe. Mm-hmm. That's the one where I kind of feel like you, you could just like, if you're burrowing through space, you can just roll the dice and end up anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's the, that is the, the dicier one and the one where you would have a harder time recovering from. <laughs> yeah, like in Battlestar Galactica, that I feel like that happens yeah. on numerous occasions, which creates plots of like somebody acts. That's how they found New Caprica. It's somebody's mm-hmm. jump drive um, misfired and they ended up just like happening to teleport close to a planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Now, now it, those are obviously fictions. Is is that sort of science anomaly realistic? Like, like so. Like my my, my real question, and, and Ben, this is for you mostly. Is you know the amount of science I'd have to go into creating that and that drive that that ship, right? Let's say that's mm-hmm. fact. Let's say mm-hmm. that ship is real and we're on it. Mm-hmm. The amount of systems that would have to have been created tested and and approved to use in my thought wouldn't that it'd be very hard for an anomaly like that to happen but is it possible because i always think that like when those things happened in shows it was just like a great device Mm -hmm. but but could sign but but you know in, in, in last episode, when we were talking about the periodic table, you know, both of you were, were very adamant on the idea that because we know these elements, we can predict other elements and then create mm-hmm. them in a lab, right? Mm-hmm. So if we can make these predictions pretty accurately, wouldn't we have a general idea of the things that would happen on that line? I think we, well, I don't know. I mean, it, to get to the point where we were making these things, we would probably have a pretty good understanding of what's of what the consequences are. So we'd 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 have some good good data, right? Um, I think it's different though than the periodic table because the periodic table is predictive and descriptive of of nature. It's not um, trying to. It's um, and it's based on like tangible evidence and data right so it's not it's not it's not quite the same there's a lot of other things at play for something like um for something like this like this sort of warp technology and i'll use an example the the apollo program uh that we went to the moon right we had you know there were percentages worked into that program of failure constantly and pretty high and you know the the you know Apollo thirteen is a failure that didn't end in disaster, but it was a this is a failure. Um, and everything that we knew up until that point, I mean, think of the the you know fifty years ago, you know, with the technology that was there, we were able to get to the moon and back and have guys walk on it and all that kind of stuff. The amount of chance and and things that could go wrong. It was amazing, even though when you look at the mission and you talk to the people who worked on it, they thought of so many different possibilities and so many different things. So I think, um, you know, there's uh, there's always going to be an element. There's always an element of of chance and risk and in a, a chance of failure um, when we're building technology to do certain things and go certain places. It's different than the periodic table for me, because the periodic table, again, is not it's not building technology. We just we were able to figure out a way to describe what nature is doing. Um, 
And I don't know if it's the same. I mean, honestly, if we were able to do that for like warping space, if we were able to truly understand how space time hand worked, then yeah, we would, we'd probably have this technology in a second because we would just be like so adept at being able to work within this medium, just like we're able to, you know, alloy different metals together because we know how the chemistry of the periodic table works. That's fascinating. Would you take the risk on like a first gen warp engine? Or would you not get? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, I would, and that's the thing, I'm adventurous. Like I want to go up in space. I want to do all that kind of stuff still. But, um, but with that, the possibility of not having, um, it's for me, going up into space and having some sort of catastrophic failure is different than because you're kind of in the same neighborhood, <laughs> um, going like 50 light years away with absolutely no possibility of getting back and not really being dead, but just being stranded. That sounds terrifying to me. Yeah. Just stuck forever in deep yeah. space. Yeah. <laughs> until you run, yeah. until you run out of air. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. <sighs> right. So, yeah. okay. That, that, that's an idea that I never thought about until you just said that, John, and I'm sure both of you have thought about this, but how hard would it be to create air systems on a, on a uh, starship? Because there's no, like, can you, can you create air, uh, you know, for a starship pretty easily? Well, when you say create, I mean, we can't create matter out of nothingness. Um, Right, so, but yes, there is no air in the vacuum of space, right? So, yeah, so, how, you, so how you, we bring it all with us. Mm -hmm. We bring it all with us, or we have to synthesize it from more materials we'd find in space. Yep. So, so, so to that point, could you bring enough for a five-year journey for two thousand people? Is that like possible, or do you need to synthesize along the way? Uh, I mean, in theory, if you had enough if you had enough raw material, and you had the proper systems to set up to recycle it, then you could scale for a ship mm -hmm. almost, of almost any size mm -hmm. um, w within reason. Uh, and I don't, well, within reason is kind of nonsensical to say, but I, well, I mean, the, IS, the ISS has the same amount of air. Yeah. I mean, they, they bring some supplies up, but in general, that air is being recycled. These scrubbers are being replaced, mm -hmm. different systems are, but you're not, continuously putting more air new air into it right right interesting yeah because I, I actually hadn't thought about that until you just said it because like the other big issue with the starship is, is art grav right like artificial oh, yeah. gravity is is equally as much of a of a issue as it is uh moving through the space time i wasn't sure oh, if yeah. uh, oxygen on a ship of a journey like star trek would be equally as much of a problem i just had never thought about that i mean I, yeah i think it's kind of one Worrying about life support. I mean, there's times where it's like, you know, the life support system has, has failed. I feel that's usually one of like more, how do I say, like near, near future science mm -hmm. of, or like just say lower technology space travel of like, oh gosh, like we only have this much air and we're going to run out a lot because you feel, or you imagine, I think that if species are capable of interstellar travel, then they should have so they many redundancies out, right. set up that like running out of air better be really low right. <laughs> oh right. we can, yeah we figure out how to transverse light years but oh we forgot about the air supply Dang. yeah 
<laughs> as well as the fact of like if these That's are you know if you have ships that are capable of traveling for years decades mm-hmm. centuries through space i mean they have to have incredible systems that must be mm-hmm. incredibly power efficient and incredibly chemically efficient mm-hmm. uh, and and creating looping cycles that they can use i mean earth is a fantastic example mm-hmm. of a a system that's able to continuously replenish its oxygen and you know it's different nitrogen cycles and mm-hmm. water cycles and it's you know really on spaceships we spent we have all of this technology to try to emulate what earth does naturally totally mm-hmm. uh, fascinating so on that note it's obvious that we wouldn't be able to do any sort of faster than light travel without that of being like the first thing off of a million problem checklist yeah. but the art gravity i could it, do you could you see a situation where they can't figure that out and everyone just has to wear like magnetic boots to like walk around the ship but they were able to like displace you know for a warp engine and make that work but artificial gravity just still is out of our reach or do you think that if we can solve the the, the fashion light we probably solve the art grab or those are not no. linear no i don't think that those are those are connected i mean they could be but i don't think that they're definitely connected i do think though that it um i think that it's it would be hard to do long-term space travel without some sort of gravity um you know there's I mean, the, the twin study with NASA was a great, fantastic study about the effects on the human body of being in space for a long time. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there, it's not, it's not good for a human body to be up in space for a long time. Um, one of the big reasons why we're not going to Mars is not necessarily because we don't have all the like propulsion technology or something like that, but because the amount of radiation that a, a human would receive just on the trip there is so incredibly high that you you just might be dead by the time you get there. Interesting, is and that's there... not and, and that's not even the gravity. I mean, the, the yeah, the right. gravity. No, no you're, you're, the gravity is causing all sorts of degrading effects on your body. And now, right. a couple of once you leave the Earth's magnetosphere, you're being bombarded by solar and cosmic right. radiation. Right. Yeah, that's right. I got off of the gravity question, but yeah, I no, mean, no, but just but to link them together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think okay. I think it's more, you know, the, the gravity thing is is much more about just like sanity and making sure you have human beings to be there at the end of the trip. Um, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with the the yeah, the drive system or anything like that. Right. I could see but- that if you did though, Matt, like if you had technology that was capable of manipulating gravity that yeah. that then could lead into the ability to warp space yes. time. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. So yeah. we could solve the problem of manipulating gravity that could be a precursor to figuring out warp engines. It could be it yeah, could be applied well, to many different things. Yes. Here's an example. Like I mean, this is a science fiction example, but in interstellar, Michael Caine um <laughs> de- de- <laughs> declared jump. that because that wormhole existed he now knew that there must be some math capable of manipulating gravity. And therefore he was confident that they could Mm. build these space stations on earth and they would have some way of manipulating gravity, you know, creating artificial gravity, creating anti-gravity and lofting them up into space. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that uh, that I mean, Interstellar is such a fascinating one because it, it it pushes real science and a lot of a lot of uh, 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 loose science to uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it intertwines them in a way that it's hard to extrapolate what's what what's uh, good and what what's real and what's not real. You know, Tesseract mm-hmm. and time dilation and all that mm-hmm. fun stuff. Mm-hmm. To that point, what this is funny. Um, I, you know, I think probably almost everybody at Lockheed that I work with has seen interstellar, but the thing that gripes people the most scientifically try to try to guess real quick. Right. I don't know. Tell me the lander. So the fact that that lander is like (laughs) able to, is able to like get on and off of planets and has enough fuel they're just like, what is this insane space age technology that you have in that thing? Like, this is BS. There is some sort of, you know, fusion antimatter ionic thing that doesn't have this race. Yeah, that's the thing that gets them. There's, they, they just cannot accept that that tiny lander is capable of getting on off the planet. Or that they're like, if, they're, if that lander is capable of doing this, then they should have already had the technology to get those space station things they built on the surface right, of right. Earth off of it. Right, right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Nothing to do with all the wormholes, all the right. black holes, all of the right. alien planets. Well, the, 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 te- the Tesseract. All right. of that. They're totally fine with it. They're just like, <laughs> we buy all this. Lander, BS. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, similarly, the, the, the uh, on the movie Gravity, the biggest gripe everyone had was Sandra Bullock's hair. Right? Right. That, all the other stuff was like a problem, but but nothing was more of a problem than her hair because right. it just wouldn't look like that. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I know we talked about this in a, a few episodes ago, but what does the theoretical possibility of tachyons have with the idea of space travel because in star trek how explain explain to everyone how they're used in star trek well that i couldn't speak to yeah i I think they're only they're only sorry john but i think they're only used in the in the time travel episodes as a way to to talk about jumping around in time yeah i don't know if they have anything to do with uh um propulsion although yeah yeah matt the idea is because they always travel faster than light, then mm-hmm. you are now like, once you're beyond the speed of light, all the bets are off and all the rules are off and you can just right. like use them to, I guess, almost like move around in space time behind the curtain. But it gets very vague and I, mm-hmm. I don't, we're going to slip off topic. Yeah. As, as well as just being in the realm of pure speculation. Yeah. Like, bring, bring a little more science back into this. And it's making me think, yeah, because now that I'm, this is, man, this is really deep, deep Star Trek Next Generation watching. But I, I know that they repaired a rift in space time with a tachyon beam. And I think it might have been the one where all the three enterprises are kind of facing off to each other or something like that. But oh, I think it, where it's like the keyhole and like yeah, all yeah. the enterprises in the universe yeah. are merging. But I think that, I think that's the last episode of the series. Oh, really? Oh, all right. That's yeah, a different one. No, you're talking about the one where it's the three different times. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is the thing's getting bigger going back in time. Right, and it, like, right, right. Does evolution at the beginning of Earth, and so it's gonna like erase all of human history. Yeah, right. that one. Gotcha. Right. Sorry if I just pl- spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> if you if, if you're listening if you're about to, to watch podcast, the next generation <laughs> right 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 no 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 john john if you are listening to this podcast 
and you have not seen all episodes of Next Generation, I'm very interested right. in who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and if Everyone's you are start too somewhere, young, to, right? If you're if you are young and you're and this is your first foray in foray into science fiction, please stop listening to our podcast Absolutely. and go. Go watch Next Generation because it is a fantastic piece of science fiction. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, I do remember that episode now where the three uh, enterprises are facing off at each other, and I, I do think that's a different episode than um, than the last one. But so tachyons are just time travel. That was just me being uh, uninformed uh, with, with, with regards to. FTL, you know, John, in in Kuiper, we have a patch system, which we, we've, we've talked about in, uh, in our Comic-Con panel, but how, how does patching in your mind uh, differ from, you know, hyperspace? It's pretty similar. Um, Explain. Okay, so sorry, that's not very helpful to anybody. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to maybe do this in comparatives. I mean, the idea of, for, for people out there, flow space is another dimension in which the speed of light in that dimension is much higher than the speed of, than rel compared to the speed of light in our universe. So a ship patches effectively slips across dimensions, moves into this one, and then is able to move at sublight speed in that universe, but then they will emerge out, you know, once they slip back into our universe, they will be a comparable distance, much further than, than light could have traveled in that time. Um, they, I'm trying to still, so I mean, but that's, that's still actually honestly very similar to how a, uh, like a Star Wars style hyperdrive works. Although mm -hmm. in, in that case, those, it's kind of, gray sometimes if it's like actually leaving our universe and like you know sort of like tunneling behind it and popping back out or if it's just like going really really fast through it mm -hmm. almost in more of a warping motion um, but ours is definitely do you think that's theoretically possible that that you can leave the universe and then come back in like is that like in a dimension like how on on, on a scale of zero to ten and zero being incredible science fiction and 10 being science fact does this sit at negative 10 or at like five i think slipping into another dimension is more feasible than accelerating to the speed of light interesting yeah i guess yeah. i don't know on yeah it's it's more of, uh, to give you a number no 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 but that, that yeah that but is... that's that's where i put it yeah yeah and that's what i that's what I was trying to say at the beginning too. Like I think warping or those kind of like dimensional travel things, even wormholes or whatever, seems more plausible than being able to to accelerate yourself to the speed of light. Now, one last question before we wrap up this episode. Let's. I want to want to break the the laws of physics for you guys for a second, and I want to hear what both your guys' thoughts are as to, let's say, to your point, Ben, it's more realistic to uh, manipulate dimensions and, and, and warp space. But mm -hmm. let's say that we could move faster than the speed of light. Let's say that is fact. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that, 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 that now becomes the new norm in physics. What sort of other uh, sort of uh, fallout 
would would happen in terms of our understanding of oh, the universe God. if we did find out that that was feasible. So if if the speed of light isn't the limit, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Jeez, uh, I have to go back into my physics classes a little bit, but um, I don't. You know, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of I. There's a lot of 20th century science in, in invention that is predicated on that speed limit. A lot of telecommunications and things like that would be could be impacted. I'm not saying that they would be impacted because obviously they exist, so they they're okay. But we could maybe push it even farther. Um, uh, I think our some of our understanding of of how the universe is composed would be different. So like the idea of you know the just the idea of distance and like red shifting and stuff like that like that's all predicated on this idea that there's light has a has a certain you know there is a limit there and so we can back out from that um knowing that we can know other things backing out from it so it sort of throws into throws into speculation some of the things that we're able to say about you know what other galaxies are like or or the big bang right so i mean that's we have a we we can say now for really great certainty the universe started at this time um if light or if there is some things that travel faster than light then that kind of gets thrown out the window because we don't know that means that there's something else besides light that's the thing that that's that's working out there but but again, right now, <laughs> um, it seems that, uh, Einstein was was pretty spot on, and I don't think that that is uh, that's a possibility. I don't know. What do you think, John? Well, Matt, I was kind of I wanted to cl some clarification on the question. Mm. Um, on is it? that we find out that we were wrong about the speed of light or is it that we just, we find proof that we are capable of going faster than the speed of light or like the FTL technologies say, you know, warp or wormholes or something exists. Does that FTL is a reality or is a, is, is a I, I would say that physics we can possibility. move faster than the speed of light and it's not even a warp drive. It's just, we can, move faster than mm -hmm. the speed of light we figured that out that is a that that in this in the, the the point of this question that's a science reality and what does that change about the way that we think of science okay so it then means I'm that gonna... we were wrong about so much right so so like like in my like like to maybe make it easier it's like when we broke the sound barrier that had a lot of um uh, 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 cascading effects of things that we learned right mm -hmm. so let's say that we broke the light barrier what would that mean? Like, mm -hmm. like what things would, would be possible or what things would we have thought were impossible that now we might not know how to do, but we know is possible now. Like, like that day after we broke this, the, the, the light barrier, hmm. what are like a few things that we, you know, that you could think of off the top of your heads that you think could be now possible within science because of this new fact instantaneous communication regardless of where you are mm -hmm. yep. because i mean that's you know as of right now we are able to communicate in real time because we are all on one planet and our brains 
of, you know, differentiate a negligible time lapse between me communicating with you. You know, once I get to the moon, it's a one second delay. Once I get to Mars, it could be an 18 minute delay. You know, just the fact that that as, as we travel out into space, we are no longer going to be capable of actual live communication. You know, something that we got very comfortable with for the past century, almost century and a half, is going to go away. And so, yeah, if we could figure out a way to bust the light barrier, I'd say find a way to to talk from point A to point B instantaneously. Mm-hmm. That's that's mind blowing. So, like, you could be on. A, 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 a star base right outside of Pluto and talk to earth as if you were mm-hmm. talking from LA to Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, that is science fiction right there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something in for some deep, just a little deep science fiction in Ender's game. They had something called the Ansible, which was a technology. They never really described what it was, but it was something that they discovered from the aliens and it was this method of instantaneous communication. So even though they couldn't go faster than light, um, you know, it took the ships the humans sent out for war, I think generations to reach the alien world, but Ender was able to communicate with them in real time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I never thought about the communication thing, right? Because, you know, in Star Trek, they, they, they have uh, instantaneous communication but but it's subspace subspace relay yeah well do they but actually in star trek can they talk in real time to some place that's light years away i think they can to a certain extent i mean i, I mean it's they do because they're able to to send messages to certain bases but i don't know maybe there's a limit maybe it's um, but I do know that they use subspace, which is some sort of form of the their warp technology to be able to move things. But to John's point, actually, now that I think about it, all the on-screen communications are always with the planet that they're at. It usually is a subspace uh-huh. message that they get from Starfleet, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not usually... It, Right, they're usually talking really? to the people. De- mm. Yeah, I think they're talking to the planet usually when they do the on-screen stuff or the warship that they're about to engage right, with. Right, but right, right. The, 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 the fleet command, I think, are messages sent to like, you know, like if you think you, you know, using using Star Trek jargon, like you always have Picard going to the ready room to, right, to listen right. to the communique from Starfleet. Right. And it's usually just like a message that he's watching. Right, right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Well, I mean, communication has a lot to defining scale of the world. I mean, the world feels a lot smaller now because we are able mm-hmm. to travel faster, but we're able to communicate in real time. I mean, it's in sci-fi tales where everyone is able to talk to everybody in real time and, you know, bounce point to point instantaneously. It's like, then what, what's the universe and, you know, mm-hmm. the enormity of space at that point? Mm-hmm. Right. If you well, but that I think that's the whole point, right? Like science fiction is trying to make the universe feel like Earth, right? That, that that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Is that it's trying to make that, it feel manageable? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, trying, yeah. trying to make it, 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 it. It's the idea that you know you can travel these vast distances, right? Like uh, um, you know, uh, today marked 
you know, October 21st of 2020, uh, we, yesterday we uh, successfully picked up dirt on an asteroid 200 million miles away. Mm -hmm. right? Lucky Martin. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and I was talking to my dad about it today and I, I, I he, he was like, that seems that, 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 that seems like an insanely far thing. And I was like, it is, but it's, but it's, it's only half the distance to Jupiter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not, it's not that far, right. right. Um, in, in the, in the cosmic scale. And, and I think, you know, I, I never thought that the light barrier would have such a profound, uh, effect on our ability to make the universe feel smaller from a communication standpoint, mm -hmm. not necessarily from a travel standpoint, right? Because that, that, that's the obvious one. But the, the, uh, John, that was a really interesting point that I just I hadn't considered before. Mm -hmm. um, any any last thoughts from either of you guys on FTL and faster than light? No, but if we could do it safely and know we could get back, I would I would hop a ride. I just wouldn't be in the first, John. I hope it's real. <laughs> um, all my all my hopes and dreams go go with that. Someday we will figure it out. <laughs> do you, do you, would you be on the first, John? Uh, I don't know. I think I gotta go with Ben on that one. The ch the chances of just being trapped in like the dark and nothingness for all of time, or just a horrified next five minutes, yeah, is not really. Um, I'm I'm in. I'm on it. You're in the I mean, first one. Put me in the so, history book. Just wherever it goes. Somebody's got to do it. I'm 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 down to be a name in a in a in a in a history lesson. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, thank that, you for your service. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm. You know, I for me, it would. I, I I say it with one caveat. There has to be an epic mess hall like in star trek where i could actually enjoy the abyss <laughs> of space sure right sure. like like there need like the, the ship needs to be equipped to realize that most likely i'm getting trapped somewhere that i can't return to right and I ha it has to be somewhat livable yeah. it might get mundane over time but if it's livable and i can see stars and i'm on this epic spaceship that's like star trek esque i'm i'm in that's yeah, cool. I'm, I'm down <laughs> Cool. Well, guys, I appreciate the uh, the episode, and hopefully, we gave our listeners uh, some interesting stuff to think about. I'm still gonna hold strong that I think scientists are gonna move Earth off its axis with some warp <laughs> engines, but uh, but my, my science pals here will uh, tell me that's that's full fiction. So, thanks so much, guys, and uh, tune in next week. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks. Good night. <laughs>